Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Fathers, I preach this morning, would you send your Holy Spirit to convict us, to teach us, to admonish us, and finally, uh, to give us a vision of the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, that overcomes all the wily attacks of the enemy. Father, we love you. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. <clears throat> As we continue in our series in the book of Philippians, I would invite you to turn to page 982 of your Pew Bible. Philippians 4, verses 1 through 9. Well, it was the spring of 2012. I was a student at Beeson Divinity School. Uh, my wife and I had moved here in 2009 from Oklahoma. Um, that's the state you fly over when you're going to Colorado, uh, for those of you that travel. We had moved here in 2009. I was in the third year of my career at Beeson Divinity School. Um, I had just made a change. I had moved from the Southern Baptist Church into the Anglican Communion uh, officially, for not only had we been confirmed, Jennifer and I, uh, but I had moved into the process to be ordained, uh, first a deacon and then a priest. Now, I was, um, by no stretch of the imagination, a big deal in Oklahoma. I was a nobody that had been called to ministry in the Baptist Church and had moved to Beeson to continue my studies and then to move home. But you see, when all of your connections are in one, um, one place, one location, one denomination even, to make a switch, to make a move, is really to uproot kind of the, the future for yourself. And I remember um, I had been thinking a lot about this. God had called me to preach the Word of God and now to administer the sacraments in the Anglican tradition, but I was telling really a large part of my former life uh, goodbye. All the people, all the connections, all the possible job opportunities back in Oklahoma were all really non-existent. And this had been kind of a drab in the back of my mind for, um, for about a year and a half up to that spring. And I'll never forget it. I was on Lakeshore Parkway. How many of you all know Lakeshore, where it's at? Okay, most of you. Very good. And um, I was sitting in a bit of traffic on Lakeshore Parkway about to make a left-hand turn into Samford's western gate, the west gate, the unholy gate there where Beeson Divinity School is, the smaller gate. And I was sitting in a red light, about four cars in front of me to make that left-hand turn, and out of nowhere, my heart started pounding in my chest. Out of nowhere, it started pounding. And I was thinking to myself, I'm not like, I'm not a particularly excitable person, um, I didn't really know what was going on. My heart started pounding in my chest. And then it got to the point over about maybe three to five seconds um, that I, I really started to feel like something was wrong with me physically. And then I, got, I felt this weight upon myself, um, a weight in which like I couldn't breathe. I started to gasp for air. And this is, mind you, in the midst of my 1997 F-250 with a toolbox there, my beloved truck that's no longer here. That's a longer story. But all this is taking place at a red light. 
And I don't know what to do. And I'm scrambling for my phone. I'm thinking about calling 911. I literally thought for a moment about getting out of the vehicle and flagging someone down. It was that bad. I thought I was dying, actually. Well, by God's grace, that episode passed relatively quickly. Now, and I say relatively quickly, I mean, it probably lasted maybe 15 seconds maximum. You know how these things go sometimes. And I drove up to Beeson, and I parked, and I walked in and went to class, and I was sweating, and it was still kind of shaking, but uh, went to, I think it was a Hebrew class, so I didn't pay attention the entire time, which wasn't unlike me for uh, some language classes. But I remember talking to a few of my Beeson buddies about this, because this was the first time in my life I'd ever had anything going on like this. And I was, um, I was in uh, very, uh, how do you say this? I was surprised when several of them said, oh, yeah, yeah, you like had almost a panic attack. Like as if it was just a thing that people had all the time. And now I'd have, you know, panic attacks like running from cows in the pasture uh, where I grew up. That was like a panic attack for me. But at the end of the day, it, uh, they were like, yeah, we've, many of my friends had had these. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is, this is a bit odd. And, and then many of them would, were saying to me over the course of about a week, yeah, well, you should, you should see a therapist. Well, yeah, like you should... Maybe see about taking some medication, which um, I didn't by God's grace. Uh, and again, this is not saying anything about Christian therapy or medication. That's not what this is about. But no one said to me, nobody, and these are seminarians. These are my fellow friends. And, not, and I'm not just throwing them under the bus, throwing myself under the bus. No one pointed me to Philippians 4 to say that actually through par- prayer, God promises peace. That through prayer, God promises a peace that can surpass the anxiety that's on us. Now, anxiety comes in different levels. Sometimes we need maybe a therapist, Christian therapist, or medication. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the constant drab that is on many of us in this culture. Anxiety, yes, it is a problem in our culture, and it's a problem in the church. 37% of adults feel anxious. This was a stat in 2023. 37% of adults feel anxious. 54% of people under 40 say that they are anxious. But how does the church handle this? How do we handle these things? Do we in love walk beside one another? Saying, let us start. Who knows where the end is going to be, but let us start in quietness, gentleness, and in prayer. Asking God to grant us peace. We don't start there. We tend to just send people on. We say, no, 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 don't, we're just go and be dealt with. And I want to say to you all this morning that it is through prayer and through setting our minds on the things of God that the anxiety that is upon all of us at times can, in many instances, evaporate over time. Anxiety. We all deal with it. But you see, anxiety, Scripture says, and Paul mentions here in chapter 4, it comes particularly in two forms in Scripture. And the first anxiety is dealt with the uneasiness about the future. The uneasiness about the future. And then the second anxiety that comes upon people is the anxiety in the church in particular, in Paul's Uh, day and age, of persecution. This is an imminent threat to us. How are we going to survive? There's those two types of anxiety 
about the future and about imminent death, really, when we think about it in terms of persecution. And I think what Paul gives us here as an outline, my beloved, is a way for us to begin to lean into freedom, to lean into freedom and to trust God that peace will be given, not immediately, maybe in months and years from now, but when we practice prayer and we practice setting our minds on things of God, there can be relief. And I would say often is relief. When you talk to younger people about who are dealing with anxiety in life, many of them uh, will go to YouTube as their, um, as their counseling partners. They will go to others. There's a rise now of stoicism that's out there in the culture. Are you aware of this? Some of you. Okay, one of you. Daniel Boggan. Anyone else aware of this? The stoicism. And, and here's what it says. This is, this is an, a, it's not a new thing. It says, look, you're in charge of you. You're in charge of your mind. There is no God necessarily, so you just need to pull yourself up and get with it. Take control of your own mind. And through you taking control of yourself, through self-mastery, you will be able to rise above anxiety. You can do it yourself. I mean, there are many Stoics. Go on YouTube. Well, actually, don't do that and Google Stoicism. But they, they offer you only half the truth, because here's what Christians are surprised to read about in Philippians 4, and I'll get to the text in a moment. They're surprised to read that along with prayer, Paul says to actively set your mind on something, meaning you are in control of what you think. You're actually in control of what you think. Prayer is offering these things to God who's in control of everything, setting your mind on things that are honorable and just and true, as we read about in Philippians, allows you to practice, to practice a habit that often leads, along with prayer, not divorced from prayer, to freedom, to freedom from anxiety. Now, we see the stoicism of the age here coming, coming back again. It's godless, of course, and only gives you one half of the equation. But I also want to say, beloved, that we live in a therapeutic culture today where we care more about feeling good than we do the actual truth. So here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> At that moment in time when I wanted some relief from that moment of anxiety in my life, and I literally, can any of you, you don't necessarily have to raise your hand, but you can nod, can any of you commiserate with that fact of feeling so overwhelmed you literally think you're about to die? Okay, a few people. Yeah, all right. Again, I, I want to say this. God offers hope to us, but in, a, in an age of therapeutic deism, in an age where we just take God and we mix God into feeling good, we no longer care about the truth. We only care about outcomes. We only care about how we feel, actually. But you see, in that moment in the truck and, and after I thought I was going to die and some friends of mine you know, were counseling me and talking, I didn't necessarily just want release and freedom from this. I wanted the truth that was going to set me free. I wanted the truth. I mean, think about this for a moment. Would you rather have the truth that over time, through prayer, and yes, through other means, uh, whether it be, you know, uh, Christian therapy, these things, even medication and, and, and severe examples, that do you want freedom or do you just want to feel good? And the truth provides us freedom, beloved. The truth provides us freedom, and Paul gets at the truth here in our uh, context. 
Now, before we finally get to the passage, I want to say a couple of other uh, preliminary remarks here. That there will be stress in life. There is stressors in life. That's a part of the existential plight of humanity. So there is no way for us to get rid of stress completely. But what there is through prayer and setting our minds on the things of God and the realities of God is an ability to live freely with hope in the midst of everything else that's falling apart. That's what God offers us as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and I just want to skip down to verse 4 and begin. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This entire section here, these next two paragraphs, they come after this kind of first paragraph here where uh, Paul is talking about Eudoa and uh, Syntyche, and is saying, look, we had these two, uh, two ladies that were feuding in the church. We need unity there. And then he moves on into this section I want to deal with here. Rejoice in the Lord. Throughout the last several weeks that we've gone through Philippians, we've talked about prayer and suffering and joy. And here Paul is going to set up, he's, he's going to set up what he wants to say in terms of relieving anxiety about our existence with this notion of being able to rejoice. What does rejoicing in God look like? Too often in the evangelical world, we think of rejoicing as just being a private thing that we might kind of do like in a prayer closet and we rejoice on our own. It's really hard to like, it's kind of hard to get joyous when you're not around um, a Christian community that's reminding each other of the way that God has worked in their lives. Because you see, when we share those stories with one another, we're moved then to joy. But all of this is set in the context of joy. He goes on to say, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. And here it is. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. He's going to contrast that by saying, do not be anxious with anything, but with everything be in prayer. You see the contrast there. Let's talk about anxiety for a moment, this anxiety that, that Paul is getting at uh, here. Anxiety, as I mentioned just a moment ago, comes in two forms. It's typically, it's, um, it's minds that are set only in the future. You're only worrying about things that are in the future, or it's anxiety about imminent kind of uh, uh, destruction or persecution because of things that are happening. And I think in the church, we rightfully see both of those things, but I want you to see that Paul is calling us to live in the present, not in the future. And how do I know that? Because prayer itself, prayer is a present activity. It's something we do right now, petitioning God in this moment in our lives. Lewis, in um, chapter 15 of the, uh, of, uh, the screw, tape, screw Tape Letters, one of my favorite chapters in all of it, he says that what the devil does to many Christians is he tries to get us to live in the future. And you see, the future doesn't exist yet. It's not real. It's still possibility. It's out in the open. And when we sit and we contemplate the future, and that's all that we do, I want to tell you there are so many ways that we can be discouraged, depressed, moved into anxiety. But here's the beauty. In the present when we pray, we're communing with God, 
And he allows us to see his characteristics, his qualities, and he offers then an ability and a way forward for us in obedience that moves us past this kind of futuristic anxiety. I can tell you uh, uh, very uh, personally here that, that part of that episode in the truck for me was that I was going to have to provide for my wife and future kids. I had, I had no real denominational home yet. I hadn't been ordained. I wasn't making much money at all, though I was working to help provide. All these things were behind me, forcing me and pushing me down. But you know what? I didn't know the future. And when we pray now, it's, it's admitting in many ways that God is in control and it's only in Him that we can trust. But finally, we see now in our culture that has moved in, into what, uh, I think it's Aaron Wren talks about, a negative worldview towards Christianity. Yes, there's, there's waves of persecution beginning here, even in the West. But we could be so um, anxious about that that we lose the ability to move into the present where God exists most fully for us. I see it when we, when we begin to talk only about politics, we begin to only talk about the true persecution that is happening to Christians, we can get so anxious that we shut down. We shut down to God. I found that these two modes of anxiety, though I'm reading them back into the passage a bit, um, they, they kind of fall along two lines. People that are younger tend to fret and they're anxious about the future. Tend that are old, people that are older tend to see the realities at play in the West and in the United States, and those things make them anxious. Beloved, no matter where we're at on that, we're called to two things, to prayer and to setting our minds on the things of God. Moving on. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. It's through prayer. Prayer comes in all types. Paul mentions two here that are important, I think, for us to overcome the anxiousness of our age. The first is supplication. The way we pray in terms of supplication is we ask God to supply our needs. But here's the catch. Do you remember our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through really 7 when he talks about prayer and teaches us to pray he doesn't say to pray for our future bread. He calls us to pray for the daily bread, for the present moment, to ask God to provide for us then and there. I'm often disappointed with my own prayer life, if I can admit it for a moment, because I'm constantly praying about the future. Lord, protect from this, supply for this in the future. And I'm never praying, God, I need you now to supply these things for me now. Let our prayers move us to the present. So supplication, praying to God to supply things. And then thanksgiving. Too often when we pray, our prayers are only for health and for wealth and prosperity. We seldom take, take time to actually, in gratitude, thank God. Thank Him. Thank Him beginning for the salvation wrought for us in Jesus Christ. And then for each little beautiful, wonderful thing that we've been given along the way in addition to it. We don't give thanks. Because you see, when we don't supplicate, when we don't ask God for things for today, 
that means that we think we can control and provide them for ourselves. When we don't, in fact, give thanks to God, it means then that we're either not recognizing where He has worked in our lives, or we just might not care about them. So in supplication and thanksgiving, we are to pray, letting all these requests be made known to God. And here's the promise, verse 7. And the promise is this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray, and here's the promise. That word guard really means to, to fortify. It deals with, um, it's used in other places throughout Scripture and also in um, extra scriptural uh, uh, writings of this time, Paul's time, to talk about soldiers that are guarding basically a tower. So here it is, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard you, will hem you in, and it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Beloved, the heart is the place of the will and of the emotion and of the being that we have, that we've been given. That our will, our desire, our emotions will be guarded through prayer, and then our minds, that is, our, the decision-making part about us will also be guarded in Christ Jesus through our prayer. See, where is Christ? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me. He has passed from life to death through the cross into the resurrection. He's seated in the Holy of Holies, praying for us, awaiting for the consummation of all things. When we pray with supplication and thanksgiving, anxiousness begins to evaporate and we are guarded we're promised to be guarded in our hearts and our minds with christ jesus our lord what a, what a blessing what a what a promise but beloved it's a promise that i want you to live into um not, not necessarily to put god to the test as it were but to pray individually and with one another specifically for those that are suffering from from anxiety about the age or about the future, and to know that with your prayers, there is a promise. Now, finally, turning to the second side of the coin, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. A second promise. When we set our minds on the things of God, there is a promise that the God of peace will be with us. I do find it striking, beloved, that um, Paul says, you know, whatever is true and honorable, and he goes on to give this great list, it seems then to mean by implication that there are other things that we can be spending our thought lives on. Remember uh, years ago, Travis Koblenz and I, um, I talk about Travis a lot because I really respect Travis there in the back. Monica's pointing to his dad. That's, yes, your dad, Travis. We were talking about the Garden of Eden. And, and do you remember that there were so many trees for, from 
uh, for Adam and Eve to eat from. So many, in abundance of trees. There's only one that they couldn't eat from. But it was that one that kind of consumed them. Beloved, we are in control of our minds. It's through prayer and, yes, determination that we are called to think not on the things that are dishonorable or unjust or impure or things full of hatred or things that are not excellent or things that are not worthy of praise but of damnation. We're called to think on their opposites. But how do we discern the difference? And this is important, and in closing, I want to draw our attention to this. If we don't know the Word of God, if we don't know the Word of God, then we can easily think something that is actually dishonorable as being honorable, and then we set our minds on that. You know, it, it talk, uh, the, the Scriptures talk quite often about, about men, of course, and women who walk in the way of, of the wicked, thinking of the first few Psalms, in particular Psalm 1, who walk in the way of the wicked, and they, um, they set their minds on things that are antithetical to God. So in knowing His Word, then we know what is honorable and what is just. For instance, that word honorable there, beloved, it, it, it refers to some of the words used to define the deacons and the elders in the, the New Testament, those that are not given to much wine, those that are striving for holiness, just like every Christian should be, of course, but those are the things that are honorable. Think about what is pure. Again, I don't want to sound like an old curmudgeon up here, but Jennifer and I, we, just, we were uh, watching a bit of one of the college football games last night, and the commercials on TV, the impurity. Again, forgive me for saying I can old curmudgeon, but when those things captivate our minds and our imaginations, they lead us astray. They lead us astray. They get, in, they, they get into us. They lead us from God. And when we, when we move away from God, anxiety abounds more and more. Because finally, through prayer and setting our minds on the things of God, we are in communion with Him. And it's through Him that He relieves the anxieties of the day, that He allows us to see our lives in comparison to life that is promised to us in Christ Jesus. So, beloved, if you're struggling with anxiety today, whether you're young and it's about the future, whether you're older and it's about the state of this nation and about the state of the West in general that is falling, the shambles, let me encourage you to pray. Pray with one another. Ask others to pray for you. To ask God to supply your needs in the present moment, not in the future, in the present moment. To give thanks to God for what He has done for you in the past and what He is giving to you right now in the present and to ask God to help you set your minds on the things that are above. And I would say this to those that are struggling with um, severe anxiety or even depression. You know, this is our baseline here. And in that, God gives you then wisdom on how to proceed on what else the Lord may need to give to you to relieve anxiety and stress. Because finally, beloved, when the Lord offers us a relief from the stress of this age, in particular the anxiety of this age, others look to us and they say, how in the world can you live with this freedom in the midst of a future that is uncertain, uncertain in a life that seems to be falling apart? You can say to them, it is because I am in communion with the God who is providential over it all. 
And we do that finally through prayer and through setting our minds on the things of Christ. Beloved, let me close now in prayer. Father, there are so many of us, Lord, that are struggling with anxiety and uh, and depression, Father. Help us not seek the cure first in other things. Help us to be moved to prayer, to move to setting control of our minds and with the help of others, setting our minds on the things eternal. Father, would this parish be a place that welcomes those who are suffering mentally as we point them to Jesus Christ, our Lord, to the freedom offered to all through God. And finally, Lord, help us as a parish as we point all people to Jesus Christ and the liberation found therein to walk with them in love. I pray specifically, Father, that you would remove the shame of those who struggle with anxiety and depression, remove that stigma, but finally, Lord, for all of us, would we be found first at your feet and in communion with you, the one who allows us then to exist like the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, living in the present moment, knowing of your goodness and your love of us. Father, would you bless us now as we continue in our worship. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.